0: Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. From the flight deck, this is Paul Pavetriou. Hello everybody, this is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. For flight time today, 57 minutes, and anyway, we expect time arrival. Coming up on this flight, the most hated airlines on social media, the future of everywhere security screening in airports, the rather incomprehensible new Delta ads, automated check-ins for everyone by the Lufthansa Innovation Hub, the EU is fed up about the US stalling Norwegian, the transatlantic route disruptor. a hashtag stopover in Iceland, soft-tracking your whole luggage, A new lobbying European alliance and a flow in tac pre. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast seatbelt sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on
1: those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 36 to Keflavik. Keflavik. Okay, Keflavik, Iceland. I am so interested to hear about your experiences there because, for once... (laughs) You were on vacation. Yes. You were traveling for vacation. Exactly. And I was so
0: in vacation mode that I didn't even look at the airport I was traveling to. And I was under the impression that was a Reykjavik airport, which is not. It's a different airport. I get to that at the end of the show when we talk about that airport. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, All right. All right. I want to hear about this. I finished last episode wondering what will happen to you, <laughs> poor Alex, lost in JFK,
1: doing a layover for a few hours. How was sleeping at JFK? Well, it didn't go quite to plan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to JFK in good time. My flight on a, an ancient BA 747 was smooth and silky. It was fine. It's, there's something wonderfully reassuring about flying on a 747. It will never get old, no matter how old the airplane actually is. <laughs> um, I arrived into terminal seven, which is BA and primarily, and then a few one world partners. And then my 6am jet blue departure was going out of their wonderful terminal five. So I thought I will just check in, drop my bag off, go through to terminal five and just hang out there for a few hours, try and catch some shut eye until my flight it wasn't that long, maybe six or seven hours by the time I got through immigration. Well, because I had a bag, I went up to check in and they said, yeah, sorry, we can't, Take your bag more than six hours ahead of check-in. Oh, it's too early. Yeah. And I was like, oh, darn it. Like, oh, And I did the math. I was like, okay, midnight. So I went and found some food. There's a great little diner in, uh, I can't remember which terminal it is. One, four? I don't know. so many terminals. Anyway, I had a sandwich and a, and a beer. And you know, I, I, I had fun. It was fine. What they failed to tell me at JetBlue was that the terminal closes from midnight to 3.30 a.m. Oh, Wow. So they didn't tell me that when I said I'll come back at midnight. And so I had to kind of wander around JFK like a zombie <laughs> for three and a half plus hours until the uh the security and check-in opened in terminal five was there's not any other terminal i mean were there like any amenities you could actually hang like a coffee place or whatever um the diner was open 24 hours a day i managed to find a seat and kind of like do that weird kind of nod sleeping thing where you're kind of falling asleep and catching yourself but you know when you're in an airport and you're not through security you kind of want to have half an eye open on your stuff so yeah it was uh it didn't Quite go according to plan, but you know, JetBlue were great, British Airways were great. I I managed to catch up on a little sleep in Boston when I when I eventually got there. But yeah, didn't didn't go according to plan. Oh, uh, so the
0: gfk and Boston are two forthcoming airports for because you did some field research. So yes, I nice. did. <laughs> I did
1: indeed. But you were mentioning to me you had a very weird TSA experience. I wanted to know about that. I did have a very weird TSA experience. And I'm trying to think of the best way to tell this without getting anybody in trouble. Aha. Let's see. I have... I have TSA preflight or TSA pre, whatever it's called, meaning Check that whatever, I get yeah. pre Yeah. Meaning I get a separate security line. I don't have to take off my belt, my shoes, my jacket. I don't have to take my laptop or liquid out of my bags. It's cool. It, it's great. Uh, it's probably worth the 80 bucks a year that it costs. And you have a little symbol on your boarding pass that says that you're allowed to go through this thing. And I was traveling with a, another person on the same PNR for a flight from Boston to JFK. This may sound rambling, but this is all pertinent information. (laughs) The person flying with me is not American. Therefore, they cannot use TSA Pre. It's only available for American citizens or residents. He has neither of those things. Now, I got mobile boarding passes. I checked us both in and it downloaded both boarding passes to my phone i sent him because you can share on an iphone i you know sent him the the what is it called now wallet wallet passbook wallet, passbook, right now. wallet boarding pass what we noticed is that when he went up to security at boston they sent him through the tsa pre-check line because it had put uh, the special symbol on his boarding pass as well as mine, because I had checked us both in on the same PNR. So he was able to go through the reduced security line, but not being signed up to TSA pre and not being American. And nobody saw that? On a foreign passport. Wow. Nobody said anything. Okay, so I
0: learned two things. First, I learned that I can share a wallet, whatever it's called now, boarding pass. I never thought it was possible. And, And this is pretty...
1: It's a loophole. Yeah, it, must it is. Be. I mean, you're still going through security, no, of course, but you're not going through enhanced security, and no, and you've not
0: been vetted to be pre-checked,
1: and no, you've not paid not the eighty bucks or whatever. And, and so, wow, it was yeah, because you go you go through the this in, in in most American airports when you walk up to the security thing, you have a a person that checks your ID of against your passport, Sports. against your uh, your boarding, boarding pass. pass. And then they send you through the appropriate thing. He went first. Oh, he wow. He went first, my my traveling companion. And the guy saw the thing on, knew he was holding a non-American passport. And still. And still sent us through TSA where our IDs and boarding passes were checked again. And we both kind of looked at each other after we got through and go, wait, something, that wasn't right, was it? That shouldn't have happened. <laughs> um, so very, very strange, strange thing. And I, I I don't know if it's a loophole or or an oversight or or how, but... On his boarding pass, it had the TSA pre symbol. That is not correct. Yeah, either it's
0: a website that sent you the wrong wallet boarding pass or because you were downloading the two at the same time, it can't add it. Uh, maybe it's just line of code that is wrong. I don't know. I think wow.
1: it, I think it's, yeah, it's a tech issue.
0: Probably is, but still, it's, uh, wow, well, no, so if there's a bounty for that, uh so TSA can send us the money for having found you a loophole here <laughs> uh, yeah i
1: just i i couldn't believe it i've been thinking about it a lot since it happened um crazy wow. crazy yeah
0: well at least it was a, a blissful experience for your travel companion at TSA which yeah. is not always they the case so they were good they were
1: fun at boston airport you run into a lot of characters and i enjoyed my experience there
0: <laughs> this piece of news that i want to share now is related because i hadn't told talk, talked about it last year when it was first uh released it's Because you're American, so wanted to ask you the question. Apparently, there's a new act in the U.S. called the Real ID Act that will create a new layer of security on the IDs. And as you know, in the U.S., for those who... Don't live there. There's no proper ID cards. Like it's not the case either in the UK. But some I have an, a Swiss ID card. But that means that some states uh, are not compliant. So if you have an ID from New York, Louisiana, Minnesota, or New Hampshire, or in, in even American Samoa, you will not be able to travel domestically in the US unless you have a passport. That's pretty ridiculous when you think about.
1: It. Yeah, the and the. The goalposts keep moving on this as well. They, yeah, they,
0: they change the dates.
1: They yeah, change the dates. And for a long time, you could go to Canada and Mexico without a passport as well, just with your driver's license. That changed. But now, these new driver's licenses you can use to go to Canada and Mexico and some places in the Caribbean. So they keep changing what's required, and perhaps this is leading to the loopholes that we discovered.
0: Yeah, maybe it is.
1: <laughs> uh, so if anyone is ever blocked at in the
0: U.S. for having uh, a non-compliant ID, let us know, because that's a pretty interesting case study. But again, like you said, they've been pushing the dates back, so we'll see what happens? Uh, my travels, I did uh, a few. Uh, first was uh, Geneva. For those who are listening to this show, they know uh, that I'm going to Geneva pretty much every month or two. So it's nothing new, always with Swiss. Another great experience. The reason I wanted to mention it is that something has changed, and it's the first time I see an airline doing that. You know, you have sometimes a possibility of asking upon booking. To be automatically checked in, and then you receive a boarding pass either by SMS, so a text, or by email. Really, I didn't, I, I never experienced that. Yeah, well, I had that on multiple airlines. And Swiss was offering that for a long time. Wow. The new thing, and I don't know if it's only for short haul because I have only that one experience. I cannot opt out anymore. So now, by default, twenty four hours before my flight, I'm getting a boarding pass. Oh. I can choose the delivery method. In some cases, you cannot choose your seat. So they are, they say, if you want to change seats, don't worry. You can still go back to uh, oh, the that, check-in okay, process, change good. the seat, and re-download a new one. I guess it's maybe because they want to avoid people having to go through check-in at the airport. But still, it's interesting that they would do that. I'm someone that loves checking in 24 hours before whatever, and I hate receiving it automatically. So I found that interesting. I don't know it if any other airlines do that if any do, uh, let me know. The other thing is, I want to also quickly mention it, Geneva Airport is clearly lagging behind more and more. Guys, it's security, uh, so immigration, border control, however you want to call it, is really lagging. So if anyone from Geneva Airport hears me, guys, wake up. <laughs> because We're in a new century, and you don't want to wait 20 20- Five minutes to clear because there's not enough. There's not even e-gates, uh, which uh, I'll come to that for e-gates about my story uh, at um, Keflavik a bit later. <laughs> Talking about automatic check-in, since I'm on the topic and I wanted to quickly mention it, we have, I have a friend, Mark Schmuger, works at uh, Lufthansa Innovation Hub based in Berlin. He's a senior project manager there. Uh, they do fast iteration of projects, or so new stuff, trying. And the, la- the latest one is called Airline Check-ins. It's not only for Lufthansa. It's basically any airline. The idea is that you register there with your email the tool will scout in your email. I guess, for instance, Gmail. Whenever there is a receipt, whenever there's a receipt, you know, uh, you just bought your uh, flights to, it will automatically check in for you. You can say these are the kind of seats I'd like. I'd like a seat, like window seat, I'd like if you're crazy enough, a middle
1: seat. So there's clearly, it- if this is coming out of out of Lufthansa.
0: So uh, Lufthansa Innovation Hub but it's open for any airline. Uh, I don't know if it works for every airline we'll get to
1: uh, mark on a show one of these days. What's it's a the small benefit? product. Is it is it I, I, the benefit to the airline I think uh, you are, you identified with the Swiss example but is the benefit for the consumer that it will snipe the best seat for you as soon as yeah, they release. It's, it's
0: kind of the frictionless. It, it does it as soon as a check-in process opens. Uh, so it does it for you. You you preset some parameters, which seat do you want, and he tries to get it. The thing it doesn't do yet, but, it, but Mark told me they will do, it will even fill out soon the API. So your passenger details will be filled oh, out for you, I see. especially if you travel internationally. So it's a pretty good idea. Again, I'm not a... I'm a huge fan of automatic check-ins, as you understood. But I think it's an interesting idea. I think it is we'll an invite, interesting idea. Uh, we'll invite Mark one of these days to talk about that, and in general, what Lufthansa is doing in our innovation hub based in Berlin. I mentioned that because Lufthansa's headquarters are not there, but Berlin being the startup city that it is, uh, since I'm in Germany, Dusseldorf Airport is also opened uh, innovation hub. So it's you know be- becoming very uh, fashionable these days. Yeah, uh, that makes so sense, doesn't uh, it? I mean, yeah, it, it does. They're actually giving money to startups to show up and do some projects. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's interesting to me how Germany seems to be a little bit ahead for that in Europe. I mean, of course, the UK has also some programs, but I haven't heard many innovation hubs for airlines in other parts of Europe uh, so again, if anyone knows about them, I'm very interested to know uh, of any program, by the way. I know that American Airline, I think, works in San Francisco with Wearable World. There's a few others, but let me know because I'd like to maybe draft a list one of these days of all the airlines that are doing something yeah, absolutely. in that space. So me, uh, yeah, so for vacation, I traveled to Keflavik, uh, the airport that I will cover at the end of the show. I t- ended up taking Iceland Air, the flag carrier of Iceland We've talked about it before because it's starting to do this kind of hub-and-spoke idea of, oh, you, Alex, want to go to the U.S., so instead of going directly, you do a stopover in Iceland, and then you continue to the U.S. It's a bit of the idea of Emirates. Obviously, the fleet is not Emirates. It's a much smaller scale. <laughs> uh, but it's a nice – honestly, you know, for a flag carrier, it's a nice I airline. I was impressed.
1: Yeah, you were, you were kind of giving me a running commentary when you were uh, sitting on the tarmac at Heathrow. And I had this kind of preconceived notion that it was a tired, not tired, it's not really fair, but kind of no frills. Uh, But you did have the pleasure of flying on a 757. Yep.
0: But so they will replace them, but it's true that so the food is, uh, so it's not a pure low cost. First of all, the price is not low cost, although with the competition for Wow, which is another airline from Iceland, the price are pretty actually low. So it's actually a very good deal. It's three hours for those we don't know from uh, London Gatwick I flew from to Keflavik. I flew in, in coach, but thanks to Seed Guru, I was like, there's a strange row in the 757. So there is business class. There's premium economy, which strangely has the same seats as business class. So I guess they don't get the same level of service. Hmm. And then there is... A single row of seats, then the emergency exit, and then the rest of economy. And so, of course, I was trying. To, I was trying to score emergency exits, but since I was, you know, no status or whatever, by the time I got there and a check-in was open, it was already too late. Not a single emergency exits were available. And I see that row, and I said, mm, "And there's a there's a lavatory on the on the one side, so it's really like three seats behind two premium eco seats." And I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna try it. And I took the AL seat, which is very rare for me. So I didn't have the window view. So at least I have some leg room. Right. But you know what? That's called 7D. So it's row 7. I encourage you to take it. You have a huge leg room because they added this row, probably because they didn't have space to add yet another row of these larger seats they have ah. for premium economy business. So they put like these little seats there, which is coach. You're on your own and you have a huge leg room. It's perfect. The IFE is not not that great, but actually there's an IFE for three hours flight in Europe. Although of course they fly to the US, it's actually pretty cool. The service is basically free uh, non alcoholic drinks. So see, it's not entirely low cost. You have to pay for alcohol or for sandwiches. Very pleasant experience. I was I really enjoyed it, and you know I love seven fifty seven. Yeah, you can't so beat that takeoff. Exactly that kick when it takes off. The one thing though that happened to me at Gatwick, which was pretty interesting. Like you, I downloaded the wallet, so the passbook, the, the mobile boarding pass for iPhone, and Gatwick Airport wasn't able to read it.
1: Oh, for Pete's sake.
0: Yeah. At what kept, point? You know, the first checking before you enter into the security checkpoint when you're supposed to remove your clothes and whatever. The first step when they first look at your passport, if it matches or not. So they were, you know, they scan your boarding pass. It kept scanning, it kept declining it, It says not even declining it, sorry, it kept not being able to read it. So I had to go back to the counter, which was not a big deal, but to say that they don't always work, which, by the way, reminds me that for the first time when I was flying from Geneva to London Heathrow, I was at the gate in front of the machine to read my phone with my boarding pass, and my iPhone crashed.
1: Uh. (laughs) <laughs> so you all, you became that guy. That
0: guy. They had to print me. Uh, it was very fast. And of my iPhone, by that time, I had kind of re-looped and went up again. But still, that's the worst thing that ever happened. Oh, God. Anyway, and the other joke I wanted to mention that's not very nice, it's when I came back to London Gatwick, the North Terminal, so I just mentioned that Geneva doesn't have e-gates, the biometric gates. So when you, you know, you just scan your password and get let into the country. And I always mentioned that the ones, for instance, in Frankfurt are very efficient. They work very fast. The one on Ethereum for me, are hit and miss. Well, the one at Gatwick, so they had a line, but you know what? All the machines were closed. So you ended up with people anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke.
1: That's so bad. That those yeah. things are, are have not proven yeah, solid.
0: Not, no, not really solid. uh here, I don't know if you've read that. This uh, is cool. Yeah, this is basically a technology. That instead of scanning you and me just when we have to be scanned, uh, you know, when you go to these machines, when you have to raise your hands up and they scan your body to detect if you have any foreign objects on you, uh, basically imagine that deployed in the entire airport by simple cameras and they'll be able to tell if you have already something. So by the time you enter the airport, they already know if you're a suspect, which means, of course, by the time you have to clear security. It's too late you're already being detained or something.
1: it's it's really cool. I think just the science behind it is cool. I mean setting aside any privacy issues or anything like that. This is on uh, fizz.org, which is a, a great website, but just the way that they explain it, a quick scan of somebody can spot concealed weapons or any, anything that's hidden on you, like while you're moving around the airport. Yes. Um, And more importantly, they can do it while things are moving. So even if they do it within the confines of a security area, of course, people are still moving through the process and you can sort of go, we need to look at that. We need to look at that person. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. It's, if you remember the nineteen eighties movie Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> where they walk through the kind of the moving X ray and it it's that basically. But it's um, that.
0: yes, absolutely. Not for yeah. trips to Mars yet. So I don't know if it's already used in airports. Maybe it's been trialed, that's what kind of the Kennedy article hints at. Uh so pretty maybe one day we'll get that and we'll have a better, faster way to get through. Or I'll just use your method, Alex, and get some you know, know, a, a little pre checked on my boarding pass or something. <laughs> A few shout outs uh, first us uh, to Andrew Hunter, your brother, because he's always listening to us. Hi, Andrew. Yeah, thinking about he, you. He, is. he He's one of our most dedicated listeners. And uh, yeah, so
1: hi, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs>
0: To Chris Collins, now you know him because you met him when we were both in Tokyo uh, because he's being like, there's no layovers because I was late in delivering the last episodes. He kept refreshing his podcast app every day. And, (laughs) uh, you know, so I'm sorry. Uh, That was my fault. I was traveling. So now I'll be more diligent in making the show on time. Uh, also, to Ian, one of our listeners, uh, went to visit. I don't know if you've seen the blog post. Yeah. went to visit the spirit of Australia I'm 747. So we mentioned that like at, at least fifteen episodes ago. The last 747 for Qantas was delivered to a museum for aircrafts in Australia. You heard about that news. He was in Australia and he went to do the tour of that 747. That's so cool. That, First of all, very jealous.
1: Yeah, very jealous. It's, it, I mean, his pictures, and we put we'll put the link in the show notes so you can check out his blog post. It looks great. I'm so envious. And thank you, Ian, for getting in touch and uh, and sharing this with us. <laughs> yeah, bastards. We're so jealous. <laughs> uh, then there's uh, Adam
0: Novak. I mentioned uh, the integration of Uber. And United NAA uh, last week, and I said, "Oh, I wonder if there's anyone else and anyone doing that in Europe." He said, "KLM has Uber integration in its app, so if you're using KLM, nice. you can actually use Uber." So, thank you, Adam, for letting me know. Uh, another uh, shout out to a friend of mine in Africa. Mbona Ali is a managing partner at Savannah Fund, is a VC fund active in Africa. Is really cool guys. Is one of my favorite podcasts. So, thank you so much. Wow, that's nice, do, to hear. Thank yeah, we you. do. We do appreciate that. And uh, John Bradford, who is always listening to us, is always voting us on Product Hunt, et cetera, et cetera. He tweeted, it seemed that also kind of maddens you and me, Alex, because he also lives in the UK. He was uh, doing a routing to try to go to JFK, and he tried once from London Heathrow and the other from Dublin, going to London Heathrow and then to JFK. And of course, the one from Dublin
1: was half the price. Yeah, it's, It's it's, it's so infuriating. I feel like I'm losing my voice getting so saying this over and over and over again.
0: Related uh, Manchester Airport, third episode, we talked about this. Manchester Airport is asking for a pause of the passenger duty tax. You know, that tax that we have in the UK that is added when you buy a flight. They're asking that because they are having more and more long haul, especially from the Middle Eastern carriers that are coming to them. And they say, you know what, we need to compete, especially with London. So we're asking the government to uh, having a pause for these new long haul flights. Do so you think it will happen? I uh, no. No, no. I mean it no, would be no, great, I but
1: I. But the, my Did feeling you? with all of this, and we've seen it so frequently in the past, is they'll eliminate fees or they'll have a cost reduction, like with fuel, but the prices won't go down. They'll just raise the base fare. Yeah. So it would be great to pause it or eliminate it altogether, but I really want to see it be competitively priced. And I'm not sure that APD is the entire reason why we get screwed on pricing. No, of course not. Like like we said many times, it's also due simply that, uh, especially over London, there's not enough
0: capacity. There's not enough slots, landing slots. So basically, we need to have one more runway, two more airports, whatever that is you actually have true competition because the prices are just insane yeah. but i understand manchester and i just hope that this passenger duty tax scrapped completely one day Me because too. it just doesn't make sense another example of uh, news that changes exactly
1: at the time we're recording aa versus gogo was settled they somehow. yeah this is a strange one and it sounds like a made-up story in in many ways But American Airlines essentially has dropped their lawsuit asking a judge to look into how they could get out of their contract with Gogo. But it turns out that the letters, you know, the post got crossed and lost. So Gogo had delayed sending an acknowledgement of the complaint from American Airlines. So American Airlines filed suit, (laughs) Uh, which is (laughs) hilarious. It doesn't mean they have American Airlines have stopped trying to get out of this contract. It just means they don't want to take it to court and get a judge involved, so they're still not happy at all about the service you know I think that that's fair, but I think a lot of this has been leverage it's been p r it's been like bargaining tools or renegotiation tools so I would be surprised if American dropped GoGo entirely, but this is kind of a a hilarious litigation drama that's kind of unfolding before us because somebody didn't put the right stamp on a letter or something, you know. (laughs) But GoGo is trying to improve their servers. You
0: you hinted at that in the last episode.
1: They are, yeah. And I think that they've gone from nothing or basically zero audience in what, 2006, 2007, to everybody having or wanting Wi-Fi on all their planes. And not only that, wanting extremely fast Wi-Fi that can stream Netflix and all of that stuff. So They have, GOGO that is, have announced a deal where they can use a high-throughput satellite beam, meaning they don't have to acquire their own satellites, which is expensive and timely. They can use satellites that are already in orbit to increase the available bandwidth to each individual airplane. And they've been really doing a lot of testing, not just in the US, but also transatlantic. One of their, they have their own 737, uh, Mm. which was on our shores just a couple of days ago. It, It flew across the Atlantic to do some testing with these new services so and they're also looking to do a, a live tv product so to compete with some of the other ones that are out there that JetBlue is offering and a few other people so these guys are going going large with it and it for a, such an expensive infrastructure project i think all things considered they've done a good job but I, again the thing that i think is so hilarious about all of this is that in such a short period of time we've gone from one or two people using Wi Fi as a differentiator too. It's weird if you don't have Wi Fi on your airplane. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Talking about this, quick mention: Juniper Research has done a forecast that in-flight roaming revenues will hit three billion dollars by twenty twenty. So it's going to be it's a kind of a big market. What does that mean? Everything that you use, so you know, you when you make a call, a text, so you know these in-flight uh, services. Uh, four, three G, four G within the flight. Uh, so, IOMOBI Mobi is one of the leader, leaders in that space. Uh, on air, there's a few. There, uh, on air, exactly. There's a few. Uh, so,
1: so that's that's the revenue. That they're collecting, that they split with your cell provider or they bill through your cell provider yes. when you're on board. 20 billion, that's staggering, but I believe it.
0: It still says, though, that it's not as big as it could be because obviously it's very expensive. Thus, it's limited to a subset of users. And also, if you compare that to the revenue in the mobile space
1: in general globally, yeah. it's, it's very, very limited. I, I'm still-, still so fascinated. I'm, I'm delighted that we don't. Have airplanes full of people taking voice calls. I think our general propensity to loathe talking on the phone as it is. Is good. Is good, and it's helped with that. But I'm so happy. I think, sadly, it's an inevitability, but I'm so happy that you don't have to hear someone. Otherwise, you're going to have to have what we have here on British trains, a quiet car. Of course, they will charge us to access that. Yeah, quiet
0: cars in trains, actually, they have that in Switzerland. I think they have that in Germany. In Japan, you're not supposed to talk in trains at all. Or you have actually little like kind of uh, telephone rooms uh, at the end of the uh, the Shinkansen, uh, the bullet train, where you can take a phone call. It's actually, that's a nice idea. I think. It is a nice uh, idea. I'm not sure though that airlines would actually cater for, create this uh, telephone booth inside. No, they I mean, would just Emir-
1: convert one of the toilets. E- Emirates could do that. Yeah, uh, and they would three, be the first 30, people to do that. You
0: know, yeah, they, they would be the first ones. Talking about the voice that we will hear again, uh,
1: Munoz is back. This is extraordinary. Yes. Carlos Munoz, who is the CEO of United, who had a heart attack last year, I immediately said, We're never gonna see him again. You know, he's gonna go and he's gonna recuperate and he's gonna get better. And then he had a heart transplant in January. And we said, Of co- now, of course, we're not gonna see him again. He's gonna this is a, a delicate process and you know it's it's he's long back. recovery. Yeah, he's, exactly. He's, he's back. coming back to his full-time job on March fourteenth. That's, That's four impressive. days from when we're recording this. That is incredible. And kudos to him. I mean, what an amazing accomplishment. So the company was right to just name any, an interim
0: CEO. They were actually, they trusted that he would come back. Probably the doctor said so as well, obviously. But it's it's probably also one of the miracles of medicine nowadays. You can have a heart attack and a heart transplant and being back at your job in a very highly demanding job as it is, right? It's CEO of United, we're
1: not yeah. talking about... <laughs> Impressive. Yeah, I, 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 it's beyond comprehension, really. <laughs> but good for him. <laughs> yeah, so welcome. we're back. happy. We're, it doesn't matter what you think about United Orleans, That is a wonderful story. Agreed. Another story. So although I
0: was at Keflavik, Norwegian doesn't fly there. But Norwegian has been, we've been talking about their airline for almost since the start because it's one of the disruptors, especially between Europe and the US. They've actually just announced a new route leaving from Paris. There's also, you mentioned last episode, the line from Gatwick to Auckland. So they are truly—they are probably one of the first long-haul, low-cost company to actually make it. So we're really kind of rooting, are yeah, rooting I, for them.
1: I've heard nothing but good things about those guys. Although, funnily enough, I was—I think they're going through a little bit of capacity, like growth problems. In like fact, they should probably. They're yeah, like teenagers. You know exactly. Like- <laughs> I think. I think. I was playing around with um, one of the plane finder apps on my phone the other day, and I spotted a Norwegian. I saw the Norwegian logo next to an airplane that clearly wasn't a 787. And they use um, these oh. wet least 767s from time to time when they run out of capacity on their own airplane. So I it's think a success. Exa- yeah. Absolutely. And I think we'll, we're going to cover this story in the next show, I think, but Virgin Atlantic are exploring the idea of setting up a branded low cost carrier because of the threat. I mean, Norwegian were cited as one of the reasons why they wanted to do this. I have said on Twitter, like four or five times i think that virgin should just buy them yes. and be done with it like 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 it's that easy you know but i just think you know it's perfect yeah. it's perfect and they
0: have a kind of similar type of yeah,
1: they've got you know uh,
0: bra- mission statement branding yeah. It's yeah uh, but the big hurdle for norwegian was always that the us was not giving them the license to fly or like kind of blocking the mm. process etc and the EU is, for the first time, getting a little bit angry over this.
1: It's it's really interesting that the EU have stepped into this in the first place. And the EU's transport chief has said to the US government, you really need to let Norwegian's Ireland-based subsidiary just purely from a corporate structure perspective, fly between Ireland and the US. Yep. Um, they've hinted at arbitration. They want this resolved one way or the other. Which also kind of draws us back to that big debate about the US versus the Amy 3 because
0: they are saying on one hand, Oh, the ME3, they're unfair competition because they're like subsidized, blah, blah, blah. But here, what? So basically, you're basically just blocking competition. You want no one coming to your market because that's an issue, right? And (laughs) The
1: the, the frustrating (laughs) thing is, and I can see why Norwegian have gone to the EU, is that the Open Skies Agreement requires the American authorities to do this, but the Americans are just – stalling
0: yeah they're stalling they're, they're not time. denying they're like,
1: yeah. it and they're not approving it they're just yeah, exactly. and and that's not cool that's, yeah, that's pr- not that cool is protectionism
0: yeah. absolutely which which is why i'm saying you can you cannot not tie it with all the other actions they're trying against the middle eastern i know it's a different debate but it's the same at the same time right so exactly. anyway so it's good that the eu is uh, because you said the, the route uh, i thinking about some friends of mine, John Pevoy, Pat Fallon, although he lives now in New York, they live in Cork, in Cork to Boston when it was on the route. Norwegian is not being able to launch because of the U.S. authorities. There's a very nice article, if you don't know about Norwegian, if you want to understand how disruptive it is on the New York Times, I'll put the link in the show notes. I love the title, Norwegian Error Flies in the Face of the (laughs) Transatlantic Establishment like it. Quick mention, because I never flown in, I didn't know that. And I don't know if... Uh, I wanted to ask you, Alex, if you've ever experienced that with any other airlines. A friend of mine, Sasha Paleva, she took uh, Norwegian to go to the US. Apparently, when you go on Norwegian, you can pre-order food before you get on yes. your flight. The thing is, though, and that's interesting, is when you are in the flight, they will only serve first. All the passengers are pre-ordered. And if you haven't pre-ordered, either because you didn't know or because you forgot... You'll have to wait your turn to be served, which means for her, I think it was at least two hours or even a little bit more before she was able even to order anything. So
1: yeah, um, that's a tip. I think that's that's a good tip. No matter what airline you're flying on, if you order a special meal like gluten free or uh, like a kosher meal or anything like that, you always get that meal way before anybody else gets their meal. Um, yes. and honestly, they're it almost fresh. They're exactly they're fresher. <laughs> they're almost they taste much much better than the, the schlock yep. you get in the economy because yep. they're they're not created on mass, so it, or at yep. least not at the scale that everything else is. When I do fly coach, uh, which happens to me, uh, Alex, sometimes because if you get hinted, it, I never
0: do. That uh, <laughs> I do, I do actually often order the vegetarian uh, yeah. meal because I, for that reason, and you know, vegetarian food is actually very good. Still in that debate about competition, uh, now driving back to Europe because also Europe has been active against exactly. competition from the Middle Eastern carrier. There's a new alliance has been created. By alliance, I don't mean a freaking flyer alliance, but just an, a lobbying alliance. The stakeholders are interesting. If EasyJet, Lufthansa, Air France, KLM, BA, Iberia, uh, Ryanair. Wow. That's
1: interesting. You right? would never because think of those guys ever working together.
0: You'd never think that EasyJet or Ryanair would actually go in such a, a lobbying group against the Middle Eastern. Although when you think about it, of course, Etihad is buying stakes in Berlin in all that. So I think this is why they're like, you know what, if you can't block them, why not? So uh, interesting alliance
1: that is is being created here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think their primary battle is airport charges. Yes, I agree. And I think that that that's pretty extraordinary leverage as well for those guys to say we're sick and tired of it. Going back to the US, the other side of the Atlantic, Amazon. Amazon
0: is not a company you would actually think about flying, and of course you won't. But your parcels might fly it. They're actually going into the airline world by leasing
1: twenty seven six seven to do fulfillment. It's pretty amazing, but totally makes sense now that the does. This size, because. They've always been reliant on third parties for such an important component of their customer experience. And you've seen hints of that over here in the UK, where in the past, you would have your parcel dropped off by Yodel or the Royal Mail. I hate Yodel. Everybody does. Everybody does. They're useless. (laughs) And because of that sentiment, they got so frustrated that they quietly set up Amazon Logistics. And now a lot of your parcels are delivered directly by Amazon. And I think they've seen. Success on the ground with owning the entire supply chain—that they're just replicating it in the air. I mean, twenty-seven sixty-sevens is certainly not going to take the place of UPS, FedEx, Most and FedEx, the U.S. So of course, postal yeah, service. Yeah, of but- not. it hints at a larger strategy, and the agreement goes for
0: five to seven years. What I'd like to know, will we see Amazon livery?
1: <laughs> That's a good question. I don't, I don't know. I, they're using two partner airlines as well. So they'll have these 20 Boeing 767s, and then they're going to lease capacity from two existing cargo carriers. So it would exactly, be cool to yeah. see. I don't, I'm, they're quite a frugal organization. So yes. my guess is yeah. No. No, yeah, I guess too. But it would be really cool. Well, yeah, and it's, and it's a that. good uh, advertising opportunity.
0: Jeff Bezos let us know. We would love to fly along a few parcels on the <laughs> 767. <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll do a show from the there. Again, the other side of the Atlantic, our side of the Atlantic. Do you use, Alex, any tracking device for your luggages? Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there have been a few. There's TrackDot has been the most famous ones. It's basically a piece of equipment with... I think it's Bluetooth activated that you put in your luggage. It's not about a smart luggage, a smart carry-on or whatever. You just put a piece of that in your luggage. And basically, when it's close by... It tells to your phone that, hey, your luggage is close by. So the idea is if the, the luggage is in the so in the same plane as you, you should know about it. And, of course, when the luggage arrives on the belt at destination, you will know a few seconds or minutes before because it's close by. <laughs> I, I'm not also a big fan. Uh, there's others I'm going to mention. There's also luck do, uh, luck lock. Sorry. Interestingly, SITA and the IATA have created a tax. It's not a device, but it does a very similar option. I'll put the link in the show notes as well. It's called Trace Me. But there's a company now in the UK. And since we're based in the UK, I said, why not give them a shout out? Carry Cado. they are raising funds on Indiegogo. If you're interested in that kind of technology, if you want to try stuff, why not give them money? Because they're based in the UK. I'll put the link in the show notes. The Indiegogo campaign just started. Talking about luggage, before once it's not uh, smart luggage, although they might go into that space. What kind of luggage do you use? You use also Travel Pro? I use Most it. Carry-ons? Yeah, I have
1: a couple. I've got a, a couple of Travel Pros. I have my... When Virgin America first started, we partnered with Burton, the, oh, the okay. snowboarding very and nice ski well. company, to create us some, some luggage. And I still have that to this day, which I use frequently.
0: The big news in that space, uh, it's not exactly airline, but it's airline related, is that Samsonite is buying to me. Uh, yes.
1: that's a huge, huge
0: M&A, huge deal. It shows that Samsonite is expanding. There's also consolidation in the space probably because... There's only so many pieces of luggages you can have. And, you know, at one point, uh, people always go for the non-branded ones. I see that happening a lot here in the UK. So maybe,
1: yeah. I don't know. I thought it was interesting that uh, Samsonite is a publicly listed company, but it's listed in Hong Kong. And also because we're both uh, fans of digital branding, their branding strategies
0: are very different. To me was one of the ones that instead of using very high-hand celebrities, they've used like niche celebrities. So it would be interesting if Samsonite keeps that play or changes it altogether. The name will probably survive, so don't worry, guys. If you have a me, it won't become a Samsonite. Mm. Two days ago was a two-year anniversary of the disappearance of MH370. Two the years. plane Just. hasn't been found yet, but there've been new
1: traces. Apparently, there's a piece in Mozambique now. Yes, pieces. Uh, another piece has shown up that looks like it's part of the horizontal stabilizer. And so Mozambique and, and the Reunion Islands are very close to each other. Reunion Islands were the first piece piece was, w- was discovered found, yeah. a flapper flapperon and it was found by this blogger who has been investigating the disappearance ever since which is he found the first piece right as well. It's it's really really incredible that he's he's managed to find it but yeah, this piece is washed up. It's almost certainly from the airplane, although no one has officially commented. But you'll recall how long it took to get official confirmation of the first yeah. piece, even though 99% of us were all 100% sure that it was indeed yeah. a piece. And there's uh,
0: even a third piece that could have been found in the reunion again. That's uh, news dated from March 6th. So we're not sure because none of these pieces were confirmed by either the airline and or manufacturers yet. But I mean... What is interesting, and I'll put the link in the show notes, is that all these pieces found there make sense because of the ocean currents kind of helps finding the plane, but not really because the zone is very big. There have been talks about abandoning the search because I cannot even imagine how costly it must have been for two years to have been looking for that plane. But the chief, the leader of the rescue operation, is saying that he has strong
1: hopes that the plane will be found within six months. So we'll see about that. Yeah, I um, think that the Australians have also said that they've set a date in their own minds where they're just going to stop. It's, it's, it's really tough to say. Uh, If it has also kind of dislodged into
0: small debris, by now, there's not a single place where it is. It's all over the map, right? So it's, uh, it's tough. Since we're on that sad topic, there's uh, a feature in uh, GQ of all places about the German wing crash that happened a year ago now, which narrates the last moments of the crash. It's a pretty heavy read. It's fascinating to read, though, if you want to know a little bit more about the details of that crash. Nothing really new, but it's very well written. So if you are interested, I encourage you to read it. Grab it on the show notes. I don't know if German Wings is liked or not. I don't know if Malaysian is liked or not. We know that their brands have suffered after these accidents, obviously. There's been a little study about what are the most loved and one of the most hated airlines on social media. And I found the results <laughs> a bit
1: surprising. I did too. And I'm... Um is a very very in-depth study but I mean I, I know what you all want to hear so I'm just going to tell you the least loved airlines according to this survey which analyzed 1.3 million tweets over the christmas period for 70 airlines and they did a sentiment analysis to figure out what people were saying and whether it was happy or or sad the lower the score the more negative the sentiment so a 0.15 which is the lowest of all of them all 70 was spirit airlines <laughs> A very an ultra low cost carrier in America. Well, put it this way: the top or the bottom four, depending on how you want to look at it, were American: Delta, American, Frontier, and Spirit. And then Cebu Pacific, who you have experience with, right? Yeah, they're
0: they don't have a great reputation. <laughs> they flew me to the wrong airport. I mean, I'm not kidding.
1: <laughs> oh my god!
0: Okay, <laughs> I'll tell I'll tell that story once when we cover an airport in the Philippines. I'll tell that story. But yeah, not
1: the greatest. Uh, so there was a the couple on here that I was surprised by: uh, Jetstar. I always, I was surprised by being on this worst mm-hmm. of list. Wizz Air, who, who yeah, are I, a very yeah. robust um, Eastern European or Central European low-cost carrier, who's, who I thought were doing great. I've never experienced them. And Sri Lankan Airlines, who I know are going through a little bit of a transitional phase. Are you taking them soon? Yes, I am in June. I'll let you guys know what my experience is like, whether it warrants a 0.04 or pr- well, Whatever that means, yeah. but, but yeah. So the most, on the flip side... There's this top 10 most loved airlines. There's not a single American airline on there. Uh, (laughs) Now, see, here's the thing that I think skewed this. I know what you're
0: going to say. Go ahead. ahead.
1: (laughs) This was done over a period covering Thanksgiving and Christmas in America, Mm -hmm. which is a high volume, high emotion bad weather area, you know, time to be flying Yeah. so Air New Zealand number one it's summer in Air New Zealand and of course people are going to be traveling for Christmas they are a much smaller airline tarom Iceland Air Monarch Tiger Air Air France I find that super hard to believe so <laughs> Another Korean thing was, Air
0: Korean Air I find it hard to believe I, I mean, do hard too. to believe. because the product is not that amazing it's a very uh, flat carrier style but then this is also where it skews you know, cultures matter there. Absolutely. Some people would actually trash airlines where some others won't online. So maybe they also can squeeze the results. Like was you said, it? period matters as well. And was so. it only in English? I don't know. I mean, and these studies, you know, like having Wizz Air probably, I know, you know, low cost airlines, people, you know, always kind of go on Twitter and, and Facebook say, ah, whatever, my flight is late, blah, blah, blah. But they do that on Ryanair and EasyJet and I don't see them on that list. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm very happy to see Iceland Air, where I was talking about. Let's see. They are actually in the one most of the loves airline. But again, they are an airline that is not used to that as many people as American, for instance. So it's I don't know how it skews the results. But it's still interesting to see. I'm baffled that United is nowhere there. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm being very sorry, Oscar Munoz. Actually, we, we give you a pass because you just came back as a CEO
1: interesting i don't know if this study has any kind of value I, I, It was really interesting and actually the the report you should it's worth reading because it goes in to look at the reply ratios how much profanity what people were actually complaining about. It's, it's worth spending some time on, irrespective of the kind of efficacy of the study itself.
0: Yeah, and I find, you know what, and I'll finish with that. I find that it's strange. So Air France is known to reply quite fast, for instance, online, but so does KLM. KLM doesn't appear anywhere. But Delta as well. Delta is, even though they do that, they're still at the very bottom of the list. So it's, it's strange, isn't it's, it? It's strange. It's, it's, it's strange. But anyway, maybe, um, I don't know, the, the, the company's called Fractal, I think. So if anyone from Fractal hears us, if anyone of our listeners knows someone from Fractal, would be actually happy to invite them as a guest to explain us how they did that calculation but that's quite fascinating and i think that airlines are reading these type of reports because they still want to know unless you're called Ryanair uh, because then you're like, oh, whatever, you know, <laughs> no frills. We don't care about social media. One airplane that could actually maybe save some of these airlines, and we've been talking about it uh, for uh, quite a few times in the past episodes. The A350, though. The the article I want to start with uh, the end of jet lag, and uh, as if that plane will solve jet lag. What? No. It's Come a on. bit of
1: a clickbaity title, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but they yeah. do. They what they're highlighting is the environmental advances that. I mean, the A350 and the 787 both have these, the humidity, the lighting changes throughout mimicking what the natural light would be in your destination. All of these things will contribute to perhaps maybe re- yeah. a, a more comfortable, less horrific feeling when you land and step off the airplane and may or may not reduce the symptoms of jet lag, but it absolutely won't cure yeah. jet lag.
0: We talked about jet lag in last episode, if you guys want to check. One of the only ways to cure it, but it's a plane that's becoming, I mean, it's just starting. Now there are like less than 100. Your best chances in Europe is, of course, Finnair, Otherwise, Qatar Airways, or if you live in Asia, Vietnam, I don't think anyone has it in the U.S. yet. But of course, you remember Al Baker said the new century for U.S. airline Uh, industry because he's landing the A350 in the U.S. So if you guys are in the U.S., you could actually take Qatar Airways. I think you're going to
1: see a lot of them coming out sooner. There's a lot of pending orders and United have a big order. American have a big order. So you'll see them in the U.S. very, very soon.
0: They were on display at the Singapore Air Show, which, as we said in the last episode, we didn't go to. Uh, Eric in to our friend, has taken some footage of it. Uh, it's on YouTube. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's a pretty nice uh, footage to to look at. I really want to try out that aircraft. And also he did a podcast whilst at Singapore for the Singapore Air Show and he mentioned us. So thank you.
1: Thank you so That's much. So
0: cool. Since we're on video footage Swiss, of course, again, I have a soft spot because I'm from there. They've released a welcome video from the 777-300ER. It's pretty really cool. It's the delivery of the first one. I had tip to uh, Sunil at Glucode on, on Twitter for pointing me out to that video. So it's Another nice video to look at. Again, I know that, you know, sometimes maybe we talk about videos in a podcast, it's a bit hard to kind of understand, but these are nice videos to look at sometimes or even put in the Definitely. background if you want. But talking about videos, we were both a bit kind of... <clears throat> uh, wondering what the hell Delta is thinking with their new ad. So there are two new ads. First, this ad, it looks like, I don't know, is it a trailer for a
1: movie or whatever that is? Can you explain that? I, I saw it in the U.S. when I was there on TV, and I had the sound turned off. And I saw the engine at the beginning, I thought, cool. But then it looks like, what is this? It, it could be a trailer for a movie. It could be a, a, a military recruiting video. Yeah, yeah it does. It look could like be it. an ad for anything. It is one of the worst commercials I've ever seen. It's available on YouTube if you want to watch it. I'm not sure what it actually tells.
0: But the thing is, at the same time, they were releasing another set of ads. There are multiple ones. I'm just going to put one link in the show notes. You can find the, all the others on the Delta YouTube channel. There's a screaming goat. Uh, other ones are with a horse putting luggage on the overhead bins, and it was all hinting at some type of the called the safeties. Like, and I was thinking because some of them were released before the Oscars that it was a hint at maybe Delta was supporting the Oscars or something. No, apparently they all led to their new safety video, which is now apparently being rolled out in their planes. It's also very strange. I, I mean, Delta, I'll give them that. i been creating very fun videos for their safety videos. It was 80s one, for instance, with ALF and whatever. This one I'm really not sure about. I'll let you guys be the judge by going on the YouTube channel. And if you are the agency responsible for any of those ads, please reach out to Alex and yours truly, because we want to understand
1: what is your strategy nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just didn't get it. I didn't I couldn't even figure out what they were trying to say. Anyway. Say, yeah. Watch it, let us know what you think. And
0: although you cannot vote on that, uh I'm gonna finish with that. The Freddy Awards, uh for those who don't know, but probably a lot of listeners know because I know that a lot of listeners are into frequent for our miles, etc. It's a yearly program where you can vote for the best loyalty program, the best promotion that has been done, both from hotels and airlines across three regions, the Americas, Europe, and Asia. So if you want to
1: vote, I think Vote is still open. Favorite program for Air Miles, which one would you vote for, BA? No, I think Cathay's Asia Miles is good. Yeah. But it's. I think it's important to point out that they're called the Freddie Awards because of Sir Freddie Laker, who was a pioneer yes, right. in right. kind of the democratization of air travel. And we wouldn't have Virgin Atlantic if it wasn't for Freddie Laker. Richard Branson was a huge fan and Freddie was kind of a personal mentor to as the Virgin Atlantic journey started.
0: And uh, these awards are quite important. The reason I say that is because... I'm signed up to all newsletters by airlines that I fly with. And pretty much all in the past month sent me a newsletter to ask me to vote for them. Yeah. So it means that they actually care about the results of these Freddy Awards. So we don't mention all the awards here in this show because there's so many, but these ones, airlines care about. So if you want to send a message in a way by not voting the airline you fly on, just go and vote FreddyAwards.com. Now, Keflavik. Uh, flavik so... Keflavik is not the airport of Reykjavik, so I didn't know that. You know, for me, I was going to Iceland, and I'm sorry for my Icelander friends. I was too naive, and I think, okay, this is the main airport, so it must be the capital's airport. No, Reykjavik has its own airport, which only flies domestic. And when you go to Reykjavik, you understand why it's not an international airport because it's basically right in the middle of the city. There's two runways, but it would be just a massive headache to have. Big airplanes flying a landing there. So Keflavik is actually a narrow way, it's fifty kilometers away from Reykjavik. So it's not that close for especially for a small island. It's not small in terms of geography because it's actually pretty big in terms of inhabitants. I was flying on Iceland there. They are pushing for a hashtag everywhere. The hashtag is hashtag stopover. So you can You can really see there this strategy, which I mentioned at the top of the show about being a bit like a kind of Emirates. You can use this for cheap to fly to the US. We'll get you cheaper than all the others. But <laughs> why not stop in Iceland for a few hours a day and enjoy Iceland? That's really their motto. And you can feel that the airport is being directed towards this. It's not there yet. I mean, do not expect something like DXB, so Dubai International, it's much, much, much smaller. But it's, you know, very Nordic airport. So to, to say that if they want to pursue the strategy of hub and spoke of flying people back and forth to the US and Europe, they need to get better at passport control. Iceland is part of Schengen, but since the UK is not, I had to go through passport control. It's not the best experience yet, but you can feel the getting there. Iceland is obviously. Wonderful. It's the first time I've been there. It's a wonderful country. I was lucky to arrive. It was almost kind of springtime ish. And during the night of Saturday to Sunday, the whole island got covered in snow again. And I woke up to a oh, full wow. white with no end of sight. It was just mind blowing. Back to the airport. One thing that is very nice because you've talked about it, Alex, related to Narita and uh, Haneda in your show uh, Attaché Travel, which now the episode is live. Uh, thank you for actually having me as a cameo. Not there, at all, Alex. it's
1: awesome. <laughs> you, got your co- you got your cameo in there, the legendary robot restaurant?
0: Exactly. <laughs> you mentioned in uh, where we did the show for Hadeda, for instance, that there is a system of limousine bus. There's an almost similar service in Keflavik that's actually very nice because... It kind of removes all the hassle. It's very well done. You can even pre-book a bus that drives you not only to Reykjavik, which most of people do when they arrive in Iceland, but actually to your hotel. Uh And that's very, very uh, pragmatic and a good solution. And also, of course, it drives you back to the airport. Airport itself, for once, (laughs) was uh, vacation, so no lounge access, whatever. So I don't know how that stacks up. There's a lot of local food you can buy and whatever. So it's a nice airport. Is it a good airport for layovers? Ha! That's a big <laughs> question. Because you know since they are having this strategy, you plane lands, and you're supposed to wait a few, sometimes two, three hours before you can fly again. I think they still need to get probably a bit better at this, especially by expanding, because it probably looks cramped a bit. There are signs that says that you're forbidden to sleep on the ground. So probably it happens a lot. <laughs> Anyway, so good airport. I liked it. I like all the Nordic airports because I like that kind of design, which is both reserved, not in your face,
1: very... Yeah, this this is so fascinating because I haven't been anywhere in Iceland. So it's always interesting to hear about a new airport, let alone a new country. Probably more
0: and more people will try because not only Iceland Air is doing that strategy, but Wow, which is the other, is actually buying a lot of aircrafts. I've seen their planes on the ground there. There's two runways a third is exists but is not being used they're thinking about opening a fourth will become the third whatever but there are expansions plans clearly ahead so more and more people might try that you know and and you know what actually what was interesting to me and I'll finish with that is that I you know I assumed that I would see a lot of Europeans which I did but I also saw a lot of Americans because when you think about it it's also very kind of close it's also three hours in a way from new york there was a lot of people from new york were there on a weekend even corporate events i saw corporate events from new york you know retreats and it's beautiful the food is fantastic alex i have tips for you for that i should travel i tried amazing food (laughs) if any one of you listeners want to know where to eat in Reykjavik and elsewhere in iceland tell me because i've done a food trip and it was Amazing. And on this, Alex, we hope we will record one more show before you fly to the US. I know you also have a flight to Israel coming up. Yes. So we'll see if we can record before those happen. If not, the next show will be
1: recorded live from California. Yeah, absolutely. We don't let geography slow us down. i <laughs> well, let Alex have travels. Safe travels, guys.
0: On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.